Welcome to the podcast. I'm Bruce Moe of Commonwealth Magazine, and with me today are Tom Glenn, the CEO of Massport. Welcome, Tom. Welcome, Bruce. And Bradley Campbell, the president of the Conservation Law Foundation. Hello. They have agreed on a plan to reduce vehicle trips to and from Logan Airport through an assortment of initiatives, including the addition of 5,000 parking spaces at the airport. Reducing trips by adding more parking seems counterintuitive. Tom, can you explain the strategy behind that? Well, a lot of people would agree with you that it seems counterintuitive, but um, the last time the parking freeze was adjusted in 1990, we had about 18,000 parking spaces and 18 million passengers. Now we have 36 million passengers, but we still have 18,000 parking spaces. So we felt we needed to do something about that to uh, accommodate the increasing demand. The reason why adding parking is good for reducing trips is if people feel that they can't find a parking space, they end up with a cab or an Uber or a friend dropping them off and picking them up. So that generates four trips as opposed to two trips if someone is parking. And it's the vehicle miles traveled and the pollution that that generates that we're really trying to target. So Bradley, you were involved in this agreement. How did you get involved, and, and what's the role of Conservation Law Foundation in, in trying to help help Logan reach this goal? Well, it, CLF's advocacy uh, actually helped result in the parking freeze. So we have a significant stake in ensuring uh, that any change results, number one, in fewer emissions, and number two, in uh, less congestion that, of course, generates more emissions as well. And uh, to Massport's credit, uh, before they even proposed the change, they uh, opened a dialogue with us about uh, what would be the appropriate offsets, the appropriate mitigation that would give us the confidence uh, to support the parking expansion because we knew that we'd be making progress in reducing emissions overall. So the numbers you cited, Tom, 5,000, and you have 36 million passengers, is it where you're up to now? Is 5,000 adequate, or is it what you thought you could get? Or well, we think it's adequate for the foreseeable future. I mean, there are a lot of things that are unpredictable about the, the growth uh, in the number of passengers and therefore the demand for parking. I mean, one thing is we're one of the longest periods without a recession, so recessions have an impact. Acts of terrorism can have an impact. Uh, before 9-11, we had 29 million passengers, and the year after, we had 22 million. So, you know, we're trying to kind of plan prudently, uh, and we think 5,000 is a prudent number for the foreseeable future. And who whose regulatory approval do you need to do this expansion? So key to this are the state environmental officials who have to approve uh, both uh, the freeze being uh, raised by 5,000, and then they have to approve the specific plans for the garages that would accommodate the 5,000. So uh, we've tried to meet with them, try to answer the questions. They've had public hearings, and it's going through a very uh, a traditional uh, review by the environmental officials at the state level under Secretary Beaton. And Bradley, as part of this, you're going to now support Massport in this effort along with this agreement that you've reached with them, I guess, separately from that process. Is that right? Well, we're, we did reach the agreement separate from the process, but most of its requirements will be integrated into, uh, in, our, in our expectation, into uh, the agency's decision. And I think it's important to understand that this is, is really less about uh, parking than it is about 
uh, emissions reduction and preparing the airport for a more sustainable future. Uh, but also, airports are a microcosm of our transportation and infrastructure problems generally. Uh, we're not going to have new tunnels to, the, to Logan, so we need to manage to the infrastructure constraints we have. Uh, and one of the great pieces of this agreement is that uh, there are multiple ways in which we're going to be reducing emissions, first by uh, reducing those one-passenger trips to the airport by an increase in, in high-occupancy vehicles, uh, but also significantly replacing the ground service equipment with, over time uh, with an electric fleet. Uh, currently, those run on dirty diesels, uh, and uh, they have a significant impact on local air pollution. Uh, and even though jets have gotten more efficient, their engines have gotten more efficient over time, the one place they're not very efficient in is when they rev the jets to taxi around the airport. Uh, and Logan's commitment uh, to moving to electric taxiing over time is really transformational. Uh, and not only is it a great national precedent, uh, but it's something that's going to have immediate benefit uh, for the airport's neighbors. Electric taxiing, I just want to understand what that means. Does that mean those little vehicles that push the plane out? Uh, I, I don't know what they're technically called, but what do you mean by electric taxiing? Essentially, it means using the electric ground service fleet, the tugs, uh, to move the airplanes. But I expect that as Logan and other airports move toward more use of electric tugs, uh, we're also seeing the airline manufacturers looking at ways to integrate electric motors into the actual wheels of the airplane oh, I see. so that we reduce those uh, emissions and both greenhouse gases and, and uh, soot and smog that are connected to uh, the, the taxing process. Tom, the press release that Massport put out said people, I think, take... Um, well, how many people get to Logan through high-occupancy vehicles now? It was ta setting targets in the future. Right. How many is it now? So we have the highest in the country. About 30% of the people who come to Logan uh, use high-occupancy vehicles. Um, San Francisco is close, and then really there's nobody kind of in our league. But we've committed uh, working with uh, Bradley and CLF and the state environmental officials to raise it from 30% to 40% you know, over time, uh, which is an ambitious goal, but uh, we think we have a, a plan to do it. And high occupancy vehicles, is that buses? It's buses, it's the, it's the blue line, the servo line, it's the private carriers. We have a, a tremendous number of people who come, especially from outside Route 128 on uh, private buses. So any of those uh, modes are much better than a, 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 a private car. So it could... That's a bit counterintuitive to me, too, I must admit. Um, so you're at 30%. You're going to move it up to 40% by 2027. Uh, so close to half, you know, I mean 40%, two-fifths. Uh, that's, a, that's a very high number. No, this is an ambitious agreement that was, that was negotiated. I, you know, I mean, I think CLF, you know, did a great job on behalf of their uh, their mission. So one of the reasons why we think we can achieve that is another one of the components is currently uh, Massport pays for eight of the 32 Silver Line vehicles, and we are prepared to pay double that and go to 16 vehicles when the T does a new procurement. So that is partly why we're confident that we'll be able to see these numbers go up. The Silver Line is c currently at capacity many times during the day, so we want to relieve that and encourage more people to use the Silver Line, which has been very, very successful. 
I agree. And I uh, don't travel all that much, but when I do go, I always take public transit to the airport. You know, I'm a good good person in that respect. But but at the same time, uh, I notice there's a lot of flights when I go looking that are at five in the morning, six in the morning. That's where the cheapo flights are, where I'm looking at primarily, I guess. But, and you can't really get there at that time, um, you know, through the tea, because the tea doesn't even open until five, a little after five Around in the morning. Five, yeah. uh, what do you do if you're a, because it seems like airlines are trying to pack them in at that really early hour. Um, right. Well, one thing that we've done is we've started running our own bus service for employees because we have to get the employees there first before we can accommodate the passengers. So we have now bus services uh, at 2 a.m., 3 a.m., 4 a.m. because, as you say, the T is not open at that stage. And then second, um, some of the private carriers are, are having such demand, again, outside 128, outside 495, that they're running buses uh, very, very early to accommodate the people who want to get on those early flights. So um, people are, are, you know, are finding a way to, to, to make it work. And there's a proposal to test all-night bus service at the T uh, to try and bridge that gap between, between when it closes and when it currently opens. Right. Is, and a, a big incentive for that was to service workers who, who use the airport. Right. I mean, as you know, since, you know, I used to be responsible for running the T, I have a pretty good idea. I think that, you know, the issue there is you have to kind of run the whole system to accommodate a, a subset of geographies. And can you really make the numbers work? And when they tried that, you know, I think they found there was a, you know, a, a, a demand, but it was relatively small. And the question is, if somebody gets on the red line, how can you tell them you can't, you know, get a bus to Lynn? Right. So you have to kind of keep the system running a little bit more. So it's expensive. So I, I don't know if they're going to come back to that in the near future while they're trying to take care of the core system. But it, it would make it better for us. I agree with that. Bradley, the, uh, you mentioned going electric with the ground service equipment. Um, the, the other, another provision in this agreement is increasing the Logan Express capacity by 10%. Just ex- explain to me, is that adding buses or is that, what does that mean? Uh, that means adding buses and trips, and uh, I have to say that, that Logan on its own has expanded uh, Logan Express over time. Uh, and the idea is simply that those are more high-occupancy trips that eliminate uh, single-passenger drop-offs and dead-end trips to the airport where you have an empty car returning. So that's an important element of this. It is uh, a popular service to begin with, and uh, I think as it expands, we're going to see more people using that service, and that really serves uh, all of the uh, airport's passengers because uh, by reducing the congestion on the roads, uh, we're continuing to make the passenger experience a more positive one, uh, even as we reduce emissions. And how far away does that service come from? I'm familiar with one side of the city. There's a so we have Braintree, Framingham, Woburn, and Peabody. And we added Back Bay when the Green Line Station was being renovated. Um, and they're all very, very successful. And we've looked at other new locations. Um, one location that seems like it could be pretty successful is uh, Kendall Square. Another location we're looking at is North Station. Um, so as uh, Bradley said, we're looking at locations and also frequency of the existing system. Um, because it, it's very successful. It is actually the seventh biggest transit system in Massachusetts is, you know, is the system we run. Just the Logan Express system. 
So it does seem like your experience running the T is now you're in buses, you're in subways, you're... You, I guess you don't have boats yet, right? Or do you? We do not have boats. Okay. But... Um, but a lot of it is getting people to and from the airport increasingly. Right. When I started, I was warned by uh, one of the board members that I was going to spend a lot of time on ground transportation, which I thought was far-fetched, but it's turned out to be exactly correct. And tell me about the, um, the current Silver Line buses. Um, I thought it was a, uh, a really cool thing when you get off at, at Logan, you can just hop on. And so there was, you end the waiting and trying to ever get everybody to get their bags on. Has, has, you said you have eight buses doing that right now? Is that right, Silver Line buses? Basically, yeah. Eight of the 32 buses are what, what we pay for. We pay for the operating costs. We paid for the, you know, the capital costs. We pay to refurbish them. Um, and the notion there, especially when we started that service, uh, which was, I think, in June of 2012, was to try to encourage people to get used to using the transit system, especially tourists, when they get off and they don't have a Charlie card in their pocket. So if you make it free, they kind of get a chance to get you know access to the system. Um, and it's been very successful, uh, and uh, it's a surprise to people when they experience it. But it, you know, it's it, I think it's turned out to be a reasonable investment. Um, yeah, I've never seen anything quite like it. I don't travel all that much, but... I've never seen anything like that where you just get off and get into town very quickly for nothing. Because uh, most airports, you're talking a hefty. Yeah, no, no, right. And it was an experiment that I should say was the board uh, committed to in June of 2012. And, uh, you know, at some point it, we'll take a look at it, but it seems like it's, it's accomplished many of the objectives that were set out for it. Now that the Silver Line is many times over capacity, you know, you got to factor that into the equation. That's partly why we're so enthusiastic about getting the new vehicles procured and, and, and participating to double our commitment. So as part of the agreement, there's a, there's a uh, it, it's not played up too much in the press release, but there's a study required of, and again, I'll have, Bradley, why don't you explain what this provision would be? It's a study of charging people to enter the airport. Who would it charge, and, and what, what's, tell me about that. What, how would it work? Uh, the idea would be, and this has been uh, piloted at a limited number of airports, is to have a pass-through charge so that uh, you'd have even more incentives to take other modes, high-occupancy modes of transportation. Uh, and this is not a commitment. It's not going to happen automatically. The, the idea is to see over the long term uh, how, what are the tools we can use so that we don't have to have another 5,000 uh, parking space expansion uh, in 2022 or 2025. Uh, and that's one of the uh, tools that we've identified. Another is uh, another possible tool that is going to be studied under the agreement is variable rate pricing, essentially congestion pricing for parking, uh, so that over time we can, uh, Logan continues on a pace of managing uh, to the infrastructure constraints rather than coming back to the well for more parking spaces uh, as uh, passenger traffic increases. So the pass-through fee or whatever, is that just for people that are dropping people off at the airport? Yeah, it's essentially for people who, who drop off, for drop off, one, one passenger drop-offs. And would that have to be, uh, uh, I'm trying to think about how you enter the airport now, because some people... Well, you have a gantry like you do now on the 
turnpike that you don't have a <clears throat> toll booth, you just have a gantry. So when people go through, that's how you would keep track of it. I think, you know, as um, Bradley's saying, we don't know the answer. I mean, some people would tell you that the parking rates at the airport are too high, and some people say they're too low. So that's why we want to do a study. We really need to understand what what the behavior will be. You know, six months ago, when we were working on the question of giving Uber access to the airport, we thought that the taxi cab industry would see a big uh, reduction. We haven't seen that yet. We've seen a big growth in Uber, but the taxi cabs are basically serving the, roughly the same number of passengers as they were before. What's gone down is the number of people using limousines. Oh, really? So that's not a trade-off that we anticipated. That's why Bradley and I and CLF and Massport agreed, well, let's do some studies on these things because kind of guessing or common sense doesn't always get you to the right conclusion. So kind of we're looking at everything kind of under that rubric, uh, including, you know, the congestion pricing too, which is something that's being tried now, you know, more and more. Uh, we want to look at what the experience has been at some other cities and, you know, some other airports. But um, it's, you know, it's another tool in the toolbox. One of the virtues of the agreement is that it anticipates what we're really already seeing, which is a, a transfer transformation in mobility and how people get everywhere, not just to airports. Uh, so there are provisions to look at, you know, how uh, how Uber and Lyft can reduce their emissions by being more electrified over time, being, having more zero emission vehicles among the taxi fleet, uh, and understanding what, uh, beginning to understand what autonomous vehicles are going to mean for uh, ground access to the airport. So I, you know, I really credit Massport with uh, seeing this agreement not just as a short-term uh, way to get their parking spaces, uh, but as a long-term mechanism to ensure that uh, not only are they keeping the passenger experience positive, but also uh, reducing emissions as well. Dallas-Fort Worth has a pass-through fee, right? Yeah. I wouldn't think of Texas airports as a place where they're really concerned about people parking there or whatever, but maybe I'm wrong. Do you know anything about their their? We've, we've looked at it at a kind of superficial level. That's one of the things that we would do as a study. You know, I, I just to underscore your point, I discovered recently that the Dallas-Fort Worth airport is bigger than Manhattan. <laughs> so they have some flexibility there that we don't face. So, you know, you have to see, well, is that relevant to our situation? But they were, uh, you know, one of the first airports to put it in place. And, uh, you know, what, what impact does it have? And you really have to get into the numbers to really see if it's applicable. But, but it's good that somebody's been trying it and we can take advantage of, of their uh, experience. And I just feel like i got to follow up because I, something you said was interesting. So when you allowed Uber to pick up at the airport, mm -hmm. what you found is that the taxi business has, has remained. Has, has held. Has held up. Yeah. Uber's, Uber and Lyft have grown. And the limousine business has has right. pickups and drop-offs have, have fallen off, uh, which is not what we predicted. And, and is that a good thing? It could be, or it could not be. Right. The initial studies of the impact impact of Uber and Lyft uh, have been that they tend to increase emissions, uh, but it's part of the business model for those companies that uh, they want to move more and more to their most profitable. Uh, version, which is the the pool, the Uber pool, where you have multiple passengers on the same trip, which we think is positive uh, for emissions as and for and for congestion and other reasons. So, 
as, w- as with the parking fee, one of the pass-through fee, one of the things we want to look at is if you have a, an Uber pool as opposed to a single-passenger u- Uber, you'd get uh, perhaps a pass on the, on, the, on the fee so that we create as, in as many junctures as possible uh, an incentive to use right. that service rather than the single-passenger version. But as Tom said, uh, it needs a little more uh, data. We need a little more data and a little more um, study to make sure that that solution is the right one for Logan. And uh, last question, Tom. When, when you get off at the airport, the deal that is offered by the Silver Line, you know, right downtown, it's there and it's, you know, you can see that there's a, um, a sign where they get the Silver Line bus, but you never see free transportation downtown just this way. Um, how come? I mean, it seems like that's a no-brainer. People would go, free, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at that. Yeah, I think uh, that we... We had more of those signs in the beginning of the experiment. Um, I would say that I could probably take you to the airport and point the signs out to you. Uh, This is going to sound like a very uh, weak explanation, but it turns out that the sweepers have a lot to do with where the signs end up being located. And so sometimes they're not right on the critical path because they get in the way of the crews. So we always have to kind of push them back into the center of the flow. But... Um, we, we could definitely do more than we're doing now, but we did a lot in the beginning. Okay. Well, uh, I, I appreciate both of you to, for coming uh, and joining us on the podcast today. And a reminder to our readers that you can join us every week. And please subscribe at iTunes or, or SoundCloud, and we'll see you next week. Thank you very much. <laughs>